Phil, uh, eight o'clock uh, last evening. And so uh, it sort of reminds me of an old story. This story goes back to my childhood and probably circulated sometime even before I was born. But it goes with a, a fad, you might say, that was in the ministry at one time to get up to the pulpit without any preparation, let your Bible fall open, and, and then whatever verse your eyes uh, fell on, that's what you would preach on uh, w without any preparation whatsoever all week. Uh, and, and that, I guess, at one time, sometime in the maybe the latter part of the 19th century was a, a, a fad among preachers. And the story goes, this was back in the days when all the great old theologians seemed to be German. And there was a class at some or another seminary overseen by a Professor Schultz. And incidentally, uh, you'll forgive me, I can't do a German accent. I do well, I do well to do an American accent. Uh, you know, I was in China and I, I was ordering some tea and the Chinese word for tea is ka, sha, ka, and uh, the for iced tea is bing ka, which cold tea. And I was ordering it, and the girl gave me this blank look, and finally, someone did it for me, and I got my tea, and I said, I I know that I was saying it right. And he's, this friend of mine said, Yes, you you were saying it right. But you, your Chinese is with such a thick American accent, no one can uh, understand you. So uh, I, I don't do German accents. But this seminary, class overseen by Professor Schultz, the boys were among themselves in a little huddle, earnestly discussing something as Professor Schultz comes in. And he stands there at the front of the room and, and lets the boys talk among themselves until finally one of them notices him and says, Professor Schultz, we're discussing this thing of just opening your Bible without preparation and then preaching on whatever verse you first see. And Professor Schultz said, Yeah, I, I do this. Once I do this, I go all week, I do not prepare. I wait until the service begins, I do not prepare. I wait through the song service, I do not prepare. I get into the pulpit, I let my Bible fall open, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to me just as plainly as I speak to you. And he says, Shorts, you're lazy. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's not a matter of laziness, it's a matter of sort of last minute. Uh, <laughs> and so we'll just uh, 
you know, call upon the Lord to uh, quicken his word and, you know, just be a matter of the the word being contained in a in a clay pot, you know, sometimes there's actually a verse that has to do with treasure in a clay pot. I'm just the clay pot here. And so by now, I hope if you want to, if you're going to, you open to 1 John, the 4th chapter, and the 18th verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And may the Lord richly bless this reading and hearing of his word. When I was a little boy, uh, even before I was in the early years of grade school, before I knew to read and write. It's one of the earliest memories of my life, and it's not a pleasant memory. When I was a little boy, a preschooler, I was terrified of elephants. I had been allowed, my parents took me along, uh, to see a movie called King Solomon's Mines. And it, it was a movie about Africa and the exploration of Africa in the 19th century, uh, uh, certainly long ago. And there was a scene in it, and I still remember that scene. I don't remember anything else about the movie. I remember that scene even to this very day that an elephant picked some poor native fellow up with his trunk and threw him on the ground and then stepped on him. That I remembered. And from that point on, I was afraid, terrified of elephants. Uh, it, it didn't matter. Uh, at, at my age, for all I knew, Ray County, Missouri, was the elephant capital of the great Midwest. And on top of that, I had a, a, a much older, older brother. He was high school age, who uh, liked to torment me. And when mom's back was turned, liked to get me to scream. And all he had to do, if you can see this, was make his arms like this, imitate the uh, motion of an elephant's trunk, at, at least as much as he could, and, and, you know, mother would be in the other room, he would do that, and, and I would scream, and yeah, Gordon would say, you know, mother would say, what are you doing, you know, and I, Gordon said, I don't know, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so, for a, 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 I don't know, not long, uh, a few months, maybe, of my young life, I was terrified of elephants. Finally, I became convinced that all the elephants in Missouri were locked up safely in the Swope Park Zoo, where they belonged. 
But then I went through a phase, and this was uh, later. This was maybe from the time I was six to eight years old. Uh, and I'm not going to lie about it. Or I, I was a cowardly child, you know. I was scared of the dark. Particularly, I was scared of some uh, character that my uh, one of my cousins. And uh, gosh, I, I have a bunch of them. I'll, I'll run into somebody in Excelsior Springs, and they will know me, and uh, I won't know them. But what do I? You know, what do you do? You try to get them to say something so that they, you know, it will jog your memory and you'll know who they are because they obviously know who you are. And finally, it will come out and they will realize I don't know them from uh, proverbial Adam. And, and it will turn out they're one of my relatives. And, and then they're mad because, you know. Uh, but one of my, my cousins as a child, uh, introduced me to a character known as the Booger Man. Now, and incidentally, just so we get his name right, it's not the Boogie Man. At least not the one I was concerned about. There, Maybe the, the Boogie Man is his city cousin, but the, the one that haunted Ray County was the Booger Man. I never heard Boogie Man. If it was boogie, it was a form of uh, jazz music played on the piano. Uh, and so I was afraid of the dark. And uh, that was an inconvenient thing when your house didn't have indoor plumbing. It, you know, it, I, I tried because I figured if he was, you know, if that booger man, and incidentally, I was told that. Uh, the booger man got naughty children. Well, I knew that I was a naughty child. Yeah, that applied to me you know, because I'd been told numerous times that I was. And, and I figured that the booger man, if he was going to hang out anywhere, he would hang out somewhere around our outhouse. <laughs> because, you know, you know, you, you gotta come out sooner or later, kid. <laughs> so I, I was afraid, but not just of the booger man, but also just of the dark, generally the idea of ghosts. Uh, I lived in an old farmhouse, two-story farmhouse. You know, no, no plumbing. I might as well use this chair as long as I've got it. Uh, no plumbing. Uh, I I can even remember, though I you know praise God for the uh, REA, rural electrical. Uh, what was it? Rural electrification administration. We did finally get uh, get electric lights, but I, I can vaguely remember kerosene lamps. And old house. We had mice and we had house sparrows. And I didn't mind the mice and the house sparrows during the day, but at night, 
know, if we could have collected rent from those critters, we would have been rich. Uh, but but during the night, they that seemed to be their party time. So I would hear the sparrows and the mice and the, and. and it wasn't so bad in the winter because then I could pretty comfortably just pull the uh, covers up over my head and figured that I would be safe. So I was afraid of the dark. Now I'm saying all that to say this. We fear that which we cannot control. Certainly I as a child could not control anything so big or so wild, or so foreign as an elephant. And dark? Well, you cannot control the dark. You can't see well in the dark. You don't know what's in the dark. Uh, I don't know if any of you, it really is sort of passed out of fashion. Uh, any of you know a Baptist, an old Southern Baptist program called training union. Yeah, basically, just to explain it, and, and there are those who would argue and, and did argue that it was a totally different program. But essentially, so you'll understand, it was just Sunday school at night. Uh, and, and that was fine. And, and my, my parents, and incidentally, I, I praise God for this. I make a little bit of humor out of my childhood and growing up Baptist, but I, I certainly would have rather grown up this way than a lot of other ways I can think of. Uh, we, we were three, three time a week Baptist. We went to Sunday school on Sunday morning. We went to a training union on Sunday night, and then Wednesday night, uh, the older folks had prayer meeting and the young folks had RAs, you know, Royal Ambassadors, and GAs, Girls Auxiliary. Uh, they changed the name of the GAs to Girls in Action because, you know, some people felt that, you know, that Girls Auxiliary wasn't grand enough. My son, uh, who was the child in the womb that I mentioned with my daughter, in her mother's arms, in Jane's arm, my mother used to, uh, my mother, my son used to, if he thought I wasn't listening, uh, would try to push his sister's buttons by saying GA stood for girl apes. Uh, <laughs> but so, we, you know, you know, so I didn't get to see Elvis Presley on the uh, Sunday night Ed Sullivan show. And then I missed the Beatles as well, and I never got to see Bonanza and so on and so forth. Unless it snowed and, and we couldn't get to church. Uh, but I, I, we had, I had a, I think I was the only one there that Sunday night. There was a, a dear old dear lady by the name of Velma Tarwater, who was my training union teacher, and, and she wanted me to go do something. We met down in the church basement, and she wanted me to go do something 
that involved going through a darkened part of the basement. And I was hesitant, and I was afraid. And finally, she said, there's nothing in the dark that isn't in the light. It's just that you can't see it. Well, that's kind of the whole point, you know, that you can't see it. You know, you have no control. Well, people fear what they can't control it. And the world we live in today, we actually have less control than even that world I referred to of the outdoor plumbing and the uh, kerosene lamps. That these things I mentioned, at least I knew, even as a child, basically how they worked. And there's so much today that, it, that when they work, it's very convenient but we don't understand how they work. I don't understand how a computer works. You talked about having uh, your, your computer or your laptop, or whatever kind of computer it was, stolen from the church, and that, that might cause you problems because of information that's stored on them. Uh, I, I just recently, in the last couple of weeks, uh, got what they called hacked, and I don't know exactly how it happened. I made some kind of mistake. I, I shared something that, that I shouldn't have, and it, it caused me a lot of problems and for a while. And it's hopefully, and you know, God willing, it's taken care of now. But I don't know how a computer works. Uh, I just know you press the button and it comes on, maybe. You know, and you you uh, put in the password, and it works. Maybe, and if it doesn't, I have no idea. If this, that, or the other device doesn't work, I'm simply out of luck. And, and there's so many things. People live in fear. We right now. Maybe we're in fear, you know. Maybe we're in fear because of high gasoline prices. Maybe we're in fear that this, that, or the other thing that has become a necessity for us is going to become more than we can afford. Uh, I remember as a, a young adult man when gasoline was flirting with a dollar a gallon. I said to Jane, I'll never pay a dollar a gallon. Well, what was I going to do? Was I going to stay home from work and, and starve? Of course, I paid it, when it and, and more and much more than that. Or So that's what we're afraid of this year, something called inflation. Last year, well, we all know what that was. It was something called COVID. It was something called the virus. It was something called pandemic. And maybe you weren't afraid, but I was somewhat afraid, and I got the shots and so on and so forth. And, you know, praise God, my health has been good. But Nonetheless, 
because of the fear of something we have absolutely no control over, people were living in terror. And next year, well, I say this literally, God only knows what it will be. You know, it will be something else. I remember, and even Christians were, oh, shaking my finger, that really uh, looks like I'm, I'm a mean, old, you know, one of those old Puritan type preachers really getting after his congregation. Uh, I remember Jane and I took a trip to England and we uh, visited the church where the great British pastor uh, Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was saved. And Jane said, get in the pulpit and pretend to preach, Dennis. And I said to Jane, I'm not going to uh, pretend to be preaching in Spurgeon's pulpit. And she said, oh, yes, you will. And uh, so I did. <laughs> and, and I struck a pose like this with my finger pointed upward. But I remembered not so many years ago that people were afraid of the Mayan prophecy that somehow some hieroglyphic type writing in Central America was being interpreted to mean that uh, the world was going to end sometime in 2012. And there were even Christians who, who took that pagan nonsense to heart. And I remember other times when uh, there was a big concern about what was called the Jupiter effect, that the planet, oh, you actually remember that, Shirley? Nope, long time ago now. You know, that the planet Jupiter was in such an alignment with the Earth that Jupiter's uh, gravity would pull the Earth out of its orbit and bring about desolation and destruction. Well, the whole thing about this is, first of all, always remember this. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't get anything else out of this, and maybe you won't, uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is not about the end of the world. It's about the beginning of a wonderful new world a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus isn't coming back to get even. Jesus is coming back to set things right. So that being said, people were afraid. We're afraid of all kinds of things that we have no control over. Now, we think of Adam and we think of Eve. And uh, I, I'm certainly not as a man you know, I, I'm not going to be foolish enough to try to point blame here, whether it was Eve's fault or whether it was Adam's fault. Uh, it's just like this. Man and woman, humankind, they wanted to be in control. God was in control, and the world was a perfect and a happy place. But, being tempted of Satan, they wanted to be in control. 
they wanted to be God when they had not fully learned how to be human. And as a result, rather than being in control, rather than becoming God-like, the emotion of fear entered into the human condition. The Bible says that Adam became afraid and hid from God as if anyone could hide from God. We see the grace of God in that, you know, I, I might say if somebody's hiding from me, and uh, that wouldn't be much of a trick for me. I, you know, I, I can't find where I, half the time I can't find my glasses or my cell phone. Uh, but if somebody hid from me, I might say, well, they don't want to see me, I don't want to see them. But God looked for man, an example of God's grace. And so man was afraid. What and to this day, we live in fear. Maybe your fears are not my fears, and maybe my fears are not your fears, but we live in fear about this, that, or the other thing. And there is much in this fallen world that perhaps apart from God, we should be afraid of. But the Bible says that there is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear. Now notice, it's not just any love, but it's perfect love. And we think there's, uh, I suppose, virtually, it seems like virtually every song that's ever written is about the subject of romantic love. Uh, all I can say is that human love is far from perfect. We're all old enough. Well, there's a youngster here. Uh, hi, Academy, apparently, is your name. <laughs> but most of us are old enough to remember when Prince Charles of the United Kingdom, the UK, married uh, Princess Di, Diana Spencer, and it was such a show, and people said that it was a fairy tale wedding. And indeed, it was. It was a beautiful spectacle. But the thing is, it didn't last, and sorrowfully, and I don't know who was right and who was wrong in that mess. I don't even know how much of the information I received, either through the newspaper or the television, I don't know how much of that was even accurate. But I do know that it did not last, and it ended in sorrow and ultimately tragedy. Now. Like I said, I don't know who is right and who is wrong. And certainly we have enough problems on this side of the Atlantic 
uh, not to try to sort out our cousins on the other side. But that's just an example, a, a, a very well-known example of so many other examples that maybe you're aware of in your own family or maybe you've experienced yourself. I can only say, maybe you think I've had a sheltered life and maybe I have. I've talked about being a three service a week Baptist, being raised strictly Baptist, and I praise God for that. Now I didn't always appreciate it, but be that as it may, I had a strict mother, and but be that as it may, I lived in the same world as everyone else, so I know how a broken heart feels. I'm, I'm not going to go into, you know, I'm not going to bore you with my own personal uh, trials and tribulations, uh, you know, going from youth to old age. I, I'm not going to bore you with that. I will find other things to bore you with, but I I know what it feels like, actually the sensation in the chest, to have your heart break. I know what it's like to love someone, incidentally this was before I met Jane, but I, I loved someone who through no fault of her own did not return my feelings. And, and that's an example of, uh, you know, the old country song, thank God for unanswered prayers. So I only say this to say I know from experience the same thing you know, which is that human love is far from perfect. So what is the perfect love that casts out fear? Well, we look maybe up the page from uh, our text and it says in verse 8 of chapter 4 he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love only God is perfect only therefore God has the perfect love that casts out fear now that's the perfection of love, the love of God. I want to just mention, and we'll, we'll be done soon, I want to mention the power of God's love. What is the power of God's love? The power of God's love is the power to conquer what we might think of as the most powerful force on earth, which may I say, and you may have other candidates for this uh, position, but death we see as the most powerful force. Everyone who lives, and of course we can get into uh, what's going to happen with the rapture and that sort of thing, but up to this point, as far as we know, everyone who lives 
has died. Even those who, for instance, Jesus, as with the little maiden, as with the widow's son, as with Lazarus, even those who Jesus brought back to life, even they, once again, had to go through the experience of aging, disease, and dying. But the power of God's love has overcome death. It, it might be that, you know, and uh, I, I went out to the graveyard just a few weeks ago now, Memorial Day. You know, I put flowers on Jane's grave. And yet, the voice seemed to say to me, and incidentally, I, like I said, I did it, so I'm not criticizing any of you who did it. The voice seemed to say to me, why seek you the living among the dead? She is not here. You know, uh, the loved one who died in Christ, they're, they're precious dust, you might say, is sleeping there. But their consciousness is with God in heaven. And someday even that dust will be reassembled in a glorified body. You know, uh, you know I don't know what I will look like in a glorified body. I will hope that maybe the Lord will choose to leave out about, oh, maybe a hundred pounds of me. <laughs> but the love of God has conquered death. And one more thing. What is the price of the love of God? Well, it's not a price that I paid. It's not a price that you paid. The price of God's love is the cross. How do we know God loves us? Well, we look at the cross. How do we know that God cares so much about us? The cross. It, it was not you know, I, I've heard the expression used, cheap grace. It was not cheap grace. It was free grace for me, and hopefully and perhaps for you. But the grace of God, while costing me nothing, cost the Lord Jesus Christ everything. But praise God. While the price was great, the power was greater, and we serve a risen Savior. And, that being true, while in this world we cannot help but fear certain things, uh, we fear that which we cannot control. 
and and well, we should. We should not be doing foolish or uh, reckless things. But while we fear what we cannot control, let us always remember that our God, whose love is perfect, and who is perfect in power, and who paid the ultimate price, that our God is always in control. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the for the wonderful and terrible price that you paid on the cross. In Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.